This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. This morning, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Georgia Purdom. Dr. Purdom is Vice President of Educational Content uh, for the Answers in Genesis organization. Dr. Purdom holds a PhD in molecular genetics from the Ohio State University. She's published numerous scientific peer-reviewed papers in the Journal of Neuroscience, the Journal of Bone and Mineral Research, and the Journal of Leukocyte Biology. She's a member of the Creation Research Society and Creation Biology Society. She brings expertise in the specific topic about natural selection and how that plays out in terms of some of our theories and our thinking, and has experience in making scientific concepts understandable to the general public and a wide variety of people. She also expresses a passion to help Females, ladies, women understand the importance of the Genesis story for them and their context. Dr. Purdom, welcome. It's so delightful to have you here. Uh, you're resident in the US, is that right? Yes, I am. I live in Indiana, so in the Midwest. Right in the Midwest. We, in Australia, we know that from movies that we get a chance to see. Some of us might have visited there. But uh, what's it like living in the Midwest of the US? Um, I would say it's very, uh, it's, it's very beautiful. So I live in Indiana and, um, we have a lot of rolling hills here and, um, just kind of beautiful geography. We live near the Ohio river, which is a main river, um, in this part of the country and, um, lots of beautiful, um, trees and forest and, uh, just have a, um, beautiful area like that. I'd say it's a fairly conservative area too, as far as that goes. Um, our coasts tend to be much more liberal. Uh, yeah. So it's nice to live in an area where there are a lot of churches and a lot of people that um, at least are um, faithful to uh, Christian mm. principles and ideas. Mm. Yeah. So having gone to Ohio State University, at least for your for some of your studies, it sounds like that's been the the area of the U.S. that you've lived for most of your life, you grew up and know yes. that culture, know that experience. It's been part of forming you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I grew up in Ohio, actually, um, just south of Ohio State University. Uh, so I pretty much all of my career has pretty much been in Ohio, except for now I live in Indiana and I mm. work in Kentucky. Mm. So but it's all yeah, it's all been in this area. Mm. And and what we understand, what Australians might understand about Midwest. Uh, from the popular culture that we get exposed to is that it is vast expanses, small towns, lots of space, maybe a little bit isolated, maybe a little bit uh, protected from some of the the 21st century society. Is that true of the context that, as you would describe? I would say... Yeah, I would say there's lots of, there are a lot of small towns, but then we're also located near Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a very large city in Ohio. Um, So we kind of have the best of of both of those things, I would say, of small town rural living, but also um, we have close access to a city. 
but I would definitely not say that we're isolated or sheltered um, as far as the prominent um, conditions of our day and issues of our day that are going on. They go on with our neighbors and in our schools, just like they do anywhere else, pretty much. Um, maybe not to the extent that they do in some other places, like if you were in New York City, mm. for example, or something like that. But we still definitely have those things going on. So you, you described the area that you're living as a conservative space. Mm-hmm. Some that can sometimes, or for some people, be seen as a pejorative term. That conservative is is lesser. It is not informed. It's not uh, well thought through. It's not uh, intelligent in some regards. How do you feel about that sort of characterization of a of a conservative view of life and country and research? Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's really sad um, in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, I I hold a PhD, I have a lot of education, I taught, I've taught for years and years and years, um, and so I think, but again, it, it's well, what I think it happens is people that have a very uh, liberal worldview, a very secular worldview. Um, they look on you as well because you're not open to X, you're not open to Y, you're not open, you're not open to these ideas and exploring these ideas and things that you are somehow closed-minded because yes. of that. But I would say um they're being just as closed-minded yes. <laughs> in a lot of ways because you know they're they're starting with a worldview yes. that basically says they determine truth or man decides truth. And I'm starting with a worldview that says God determines truth and the Bible determines truth. They're both worldviews. They're both ways of looking at the world. They just have a different foundation or starting point. And um, obviously, I, I mean, you know, God is, is, is infinitely smarter than man will ever be. And so starting with that worldview gives us a much better understanding of the world and it does if we start with just our own ideas and our own opinions and then who is right and who is wrong and how do you determine that? So, I, you know, they, they can call me closed minded all they want, but they're not open many times to the biblical worldview. And so um, so we all have worldviews. We all have starting points. And that informs how we how we look at things and what we think about things. I think that's a, a really wonderful response and perspective on that that issue, uh, Georgia. The the reality is that there can be deeply well thought through ideas, philosophies, frames of reference on either side, and there can be just as superficial <laughs> interpretations or positions that are adopted on both sides, right, of a conservative or a liberal. And, and I, I think you're exactly right. There can be many, many uh, progressive thinkers who haven't necessarily plumbed the depths of the implications or what it's rented on or what it's grounded on um, as equally as there can be those on a conservative view who who hold that same view. So uh, let me explore with you your experience growing up Midland, mid uh, mid US, a beautiful country, um, a, a, a life that was rich and full. What led you to end up with a PhD in science? What in your experience, your childhood, your family, your school, led you down a track where this was what you wanted to devote so much time to? 
Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, and, uh, my parents loved the Lord and, uh, we went to church pretty much every time the doors were open and, uh, had a very rich heritage of that. Actually, almost everyone in my family is, is a born again Christian. And so I'm thankful for that heritage. And, uh, so I, but I don't have anyone in my family that is a scientist. Um, my parents didn't even attend college. And so uh, I didn't really have a lot of that um, high levels of education in my in my family. But I knew from the time I was very young that I really loved science. And I was really um, something that I think God gifted me with the ability to do well and to think mm-hmm. about well. And so uh, and from a very young age, I wanted to be a medical doctor. That was what I was going to do and pursue. And um, when I got into college and I first started um, learning about like kind of what are the other professions that are out there, like it's not you don't just have to become a medical doctor. And I started to learn about research and things that people had done. And one professor in particular that was being hired by the school when he gave his presentation on um, some of the uh, immunology work that he had done studying the immune system, I was just completely fascinated by that. And that was Mm. like my end of my sophomore year of college. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is so amazing. This is so neat. And so uh, at the time though, you know, molecular biology, I mean, you know, there were programs in it and stuff, but my college didn't have a lot in that area. So I had like one genetics class and I had one molecular biology class, but I really enjoyed them. And um, even uh, one of the summers between my junior and senior year had pursued research at a, do a research program. And so got to kind of do it firsthand um, and worked at a university doing that. And so then once I finished um, college, I actually took a year to work at a university and do research just as a research assistant, just to Mm. kind of get more of a feel for it and see if I really liked it. And I did, I loved it. And so then I applied to graduate school and got accepted there. Um, But the Lord really during that year kind of used that time while I really liked research, uh, I really started to think about uh, a teaching career and, and teaching other people what I loved so much and what I love to learn about. And cause I always loved school. I'm one of those, you know, weird kids that <laughs> loved school and loved, um, I'm a science nerd at heart. And so I, I just love learning and, and I wanted to help other people do that too. So I really, during that year, I really started to think, okay, I want to get a PhD so I can teach. Um, I, I liked the research, but I wanted to really pursue the teaching, teaching college was what I really wanted to do because I really enjoyed my college experience. And so I wanted to have that same, I saw the impact my professors had on me. So I wanted to have that same impact on students. And so that's what really led me into, um, after I finished my uh, PhD, I actually did some teaching while I was at Ohio State and got a got a taste for it and really liked it. And so then I went straight from there to teaching uh, college and did that for six years before I came to Answers in Genesis. Mm, fantastic. I want to dig a little deeper with you about how you how you came to understand the place of science in your faith-filled, faith-based worldview. But you, you mentioned the fact that you, just in, in passing, that you felt the Lord opened the doors and the Lord directed you and, and reflecting on a very personal encounter or, or relationship with God without um, intruding too much. How did that develop for you? When did you find that it was not just the faith of your family, that it wasn't just the faith of your community, 
that you mm-hmm. you knew God was leading your life and calling you to something. So I was saved when I was eight um, at a church camp, but and I and I fully understood what I was doing and and knew and understood the gospel really well at that point. But at the same time, I think making it my own. Um, I wouldn't say that happened until I was probably about fourteen. Um, I was at a, a Christian youth rally um, actually, and I just really like listening to everything. Like I'd say that's where my faith really gained its maturity. You know, where I really started on that path to Mm -hmm. spiritual maturity and growing and reading my Bible and praying and really understanding what all that meant, um, I think was really at that point and really seeking what God would have me to do, um, where to go to college, what to major in, you know, how, what he wanted for my life. And, and it hasn't always been too, like one of the things I always tell students is, you know, you, you kind of on this path and you think, okay, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a planner. So I like to plan and God likes to say, "Mm, I actually want you to go this way, you know? And so I, so I tell students to, to, you know, really take it step by step. You can plan and planning is good, but, but don't be surprised if God sometimes leads you a different way. And, and, and that's okay. Um, you know, like I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. I got a PhD. I thought I was going to go into research. I went into teaching, um, you know, and lots of other areas of my life where the Lord's really led me on a different path than the one I thought I was going to go on. Um, and just like working for an apologetics ministry and using my degree in genetics in ministry, that was something I had never really thought about. I mean, every job has an aspect of ministry to it. Um, whether I'm in a research lab or what, you know, we're Christians, we're doing it for the glory of God and to understand his world better um, in this case. But uh, but it's neat to be how the Lord led me to really have a passion for defending my faith and wanting to help other people be able to do that well too. I still teach. I still get to teach people things. It's just in a different capacity. Yeah. So that, that leading, that that um, over planning or, or overriding of planning that you saw happen mm-hmm. in your life was would you recognize that that at times that that was God giving you an impression of a decision you should make? Was it in actually the the a course of your life, the decisions that other people were making that were directing yeah. your your future? Yeah, I think some of it was um, like, I remember when I distinctly remember sitting um, in a chair, um, having my morning devotions when I was in my first year of teaching college and just the Lord really impressing on me. I was reading First Peter 3.15. It was part of my devotions that day. And that basically always be ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that you have. And the Lord just really like that really impressed on my heart. Yeah. Like I... I need to know what I believe and why I believe it. I mean, I knew what I believe, but why do I believe it? How can I defend that effectively? And um, through other things that have been happening, questions people have been asking me, you know, things I'd been challenged with even in graduate school. And I was like, and it kind of all culminated. And I was like, I need to make a decision on this um, and figure these things out. So that was one thing. Um, I know, like, for example, just from a personal perspective. Um, so my husband and I, um, tried to have children, um, and, uh, we really felt that this was, you know, God's will for our life to have children. And we didn't expect to have any problems with that, but, 
um, the Lord closed the door on that. Um, we're not able mm-hmm. to get pregnant. And, um, so, um, but the Lord opened the door for adoption and we were able to adopt our daughter. And so, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the Lord impressing, sometimes it's him just yeah. closing those doors, but mm-hmm. opening up a, a different door. And, and it comes back to where we started about the, the notion of you described, why do I believe what I believe and, and doing the work to understand right. how you conceive of God in your life and mm-hmm. the way he works and the sovereign decisions that he makes. It's a, it's yeah. a lovely personal story. Thank you for, for the privilege mm-hmm. of sharing that. Georgia, I, I wonder, again, without being a, a caricature of um, Midwest, the the notion of that conservative Bible belt might suggest that Science was not necessarily something that was encouraged. The the pursuit of of a science career may not have been something that was the normal path for people in your community. Did you find that there was encouragement from the people around you? Discouragement, freedom. I never was discouraged. I don't remember anyone ever um, discouraging me from going into science ever. My parents were always extremely encouraging of me um, Mm. to follow what what I felt was God's will for my life. Um, I don't remember anyone saying, oh, because you're a Christian or, you know, science might, you know, because you're going to learn about evolution. I I was in the public school system, so I was hearing this stuff. It wasn't like it was new to me. Um, but I never really, I, I, I didn't necessarily have any role models in the sense of other scientists or people that had become scientists. Like I never had any of that. Um, mm. I just knew that I really liked it and I wanted to pursue it. So I, I never, I have heard of that happening to people where, um, I've had students sometimes say, I don't know if I should go into the sciences because there's going to be a lot of evolution, a lot of things that challenge my faith. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, how am I going to be able to handle that? And, um, I personally never experienced that, but I do, I do encourage students to, you know, look, don't be afraid of these things. You know, you're going to be challenged by a lot of things in the world, not just yeah. in this area, but in a yeah. lot of ways. So you just have to ground yourself in the, in God's word. That is really important. Know what God's word said, and you're yeah. going to be able to um, deal with these things as they come yeah. up. And, and we've got so many great resources now. Answers in Genesis didn't exist until I was a senior in college. I mean, yeah. so we've got all these great resources that when you have these questions, don't be afraid to talk to people, talk to other adults or teachers or parents about some of the questions that you have and, and seek out those answers. That's yeah. what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. So those yeah. answers are out there. You just have to want to seek them and, yeah. and just continue to be grounded in that faith, knowing that God's word is true and nothing can contradict that or go against that you mentioned that in any area of pursuit if you if you pursue it uh, deeply enough and and with enough uh, intention there's going to be things that you you will come across that will challenge your faith what what did you find when you were adding degrees going phd molecular uh, genetics research what were the things that you you needed to really ground yourself in the word to deal with. Um, I think one of the big things for me. So I never really believed in biological evolution, just because I was well because I knew what God's word said about creation, but also because 
I was studying genetics and it's extremely complex. So there's no way this just happened by random chance over eons of time. That I wasn't buying that, but the age of the earth was something that actually really challenged me because I didn't have a lot of geology background. And so I was like, well, if they're saying it's millions of years and maybe it is. And so maybe I should like accept that and somehow figure out how to make that work with what the Bible says. And so the more I started to study that though, study like what people were saying in the area of geology, I started to realize that um, things like radiometric dating and all that, they're all based on assumptions. They're based on, you know, everybody starts with the worldview. Everybody starts with certain assumptions. So even radiometric dating starts with certain assumptions, like the radioactive decay rate has always been constant, which studies show it hasn't been, you know, and, and there's things like, well, like without getting too technical, like, oh, there's, you start with all this parent material and all the daughter material has to come from that. Well, how do you know there wasn't any daughter material to start with? So there was, I didn't realize there were those assumptions going into that. And so um, once I started to really understand that, I was like, oh, okay. And then I think for me, the biggest thing was um, really a theological thing, understanding that you can't have death before sin. So sin didn't come about till Genesis chapter three and um, one and two is the creation of everything, all, all animals and, and Adam and Eve. And so you can't, the fossil record or the rock layers are supposedly millions of years of death and disease and suffering and bloodshed. That's how evolution works. So I hadn't really reckoned, I hadn't thought like, oh, if, if I have that, then how does that work with what God's word says? I mean, God's word makes it clear that, you know, sin came about as, or death came about as a result of sin. So I can't, that the Bible can't, you know, can't have that contradiction. And so if that's, you know, true, then these, these layers were, you know, a result of the flood. They're not the result of millions of years of evolution and really understanding that the, the word is true when it talks about, you know, we can add the years up and there's only about 6,000 years total, you know, if we add up to today. And so I think it was, um, just under, sometimes we just don't understand the science well enough. You know, we haven't Mm. really delved into that and seeing how, oh, how does that, how does that, um, Mm. how can we, use God's word and understand mm. that and how to see that that doesn't actually contradict it, contradict it. It goes along with it. Let, let me push a little further to that. The, you, you said we don't understand the science enough. There is a mm. common view in, in our current context of society that there is an infallibility to science and mm. an inevitability that, it's going to provide the answers and it's going to, you know, piece together the, the theory of everything. As a scientist in the field practicing, is that how you see science? Do you see it as this, this panacea for all the things that are wrong and all the missing bits of information that we have? I mean, I think that's where the danger, I think that's a great danger. You know, we call that scientism, that this is just, Mm. you know, everything has to be looked at and understood from a scientific, scientifically. Um, And it's just all material. There's no immaterial and it's what Mm. we observe and, you know, all that's all there is. And so I think there is a great danger in that. And I think it's important to understand too, that there's a difference between what we would consider observational science, which is what we do in the lab every day. It uses the scientific method. So you have a hypothesis, you do experiments, does it support or not support your original hypothesis? 
we can, I call that here and now science because this is what we do in the lab, but that's very different from historical science, which deals mm -hmm. with things that have happened in the past. So mm -hmm. evolution and creation both fall into that category because they're not testable, they're not repeatable, and they're not observable um, because mm -hmm. they're past events, they're history in that sense. And so, um, so what we believe about those things is very much based on our worldview. You know, who are we trusting to tell us the truth about the past? Do we trust God's word or do we trust man's ideas about what they think happened? Um, and so that's very different. That's very worldview um, based, whereas mm -hmm. I think science that we do in the here and now um, – people that do good science and use the scientific method um, and are doing that, then it's not as worldview based or it doesn't have to be because again, you can observe it and see it and, and see does it support or not support the original ideas that you had. If people are honest about it, the problem is there can be a lot of um, dishonesty. <laughs> um, and, and I've seen it. I've seen scientists that are so, you know, hooked into their idea of what they think is true, that they won't accept anything else, even things that go to the contrary. And that's not good science if if a scientist is doing that. But if they're true, being true to it, then we can we can observe things and see things. And but they're two different, very two very different types of science. Now, I know that this is your area, and it might be an unfair question to ask a scientist. But is is there a place for science in our world? Is it worth? doing all the hard work and investing all the the resources that our our world does into science what's the what's the role of science in our world ooh that's a good question um i think it's important like from from my christian perspective i would say that it's important to discover what god has created um all of these things i mean as as much as we know you know i think when we sequence the human genome right we're like oh this is awesome we've we've done it mm -hmm. that's just the tip of the iceberg um because now you have to figure out what does it all mean right it it's what does it actually do how does it actually work how does it function and so just knowing the letters or knowing the bases you know doesn't tell us that and so we have to still investigate that and so i think that's really good to do and I think it's good to do from the from the perspective of, you know, we do live in a fallen world and we're trying to mitigate the effects of the curse um, on people. And so it's good to study and understand these things to help people. Um, and that can be through a variety of things, even improving crops, you know, um, animals, you know, all of these things for uh, we have dominion. We're given dominion over God's word. That doesn't mean we rule harshly over it, but we take care of it and we should work to be stewards of what God has created. And so I think just a natural curiosity, like, and finding out what God has created and understanding it, but also how can it help people and how can it help us um, better take care of the world that he's created? Yeah, that's great. And and I, I agree with you that there is something, if it is done well, it can reveal the glory of God in his creation and, and help us fulfill our role as stewards of, of that creation, right? right? Let me ask you, Georgia, the, the the counterpoint, you've done a great job of describing the role of science and the value that it has, but there'd be some Christians who would say, look, I know Jesus, I know he, he saved me, he, he died, and I've got this good thing going with God right now. Does it really matter that I, I don't understand the beginnings and I, I don't fully get my head around the creation account? Can you share what you believe is why is it why is it important that we we wrestle with that idea and those concepts 
Um, so I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think that, you know, God has revealed this stuff to us, revealed these things to us in his word. And so we are supposed to um, know God's word, what it says and understand it and just because it's hard or difficult, or we may not see the relevance. It may just be that we haven't delved deep enough into it to really look at it and understand it. He's not just, he gave us all these words in the Bible for a reason. Okay. So um, including Genesis, including revelation uh, and I, you know, including all of it in between, even when you get to passages like a lot of genealogies and numbers and things, and you think, but it's important, God, that's part of his word. And so we need to understand those things and, and think about those things. So I would argue that, you know, we're, we're to, um, we're to study his word and know his words and that's part of it. But I think too, and I actually heard this the other day. It was interesting. Somebody was talking about, you know, what are what are some things where Christians can agree to disagree on and what are some things that they can't basically. And, you know, they would say, well, you have to agree that Jesus was virgin born. You have to agree that Jesus resurrected. And I would agree. Every Christian needs to agree on those things. Um, now they said, well, but creation, that's not, that's a secondary issue. That's not as important. Mm -hmm. And I would not, I would not agree with that because I think we really need to think about how foundational Genesis is and what is given there to a lot of the issues that we're dealing with in our world today. Things like, for example, sexuality, things like the sanctity of life when it comes to the abortion issue, things like marriage and how it's defined. You know, you think about all those issues. Well, where, where does all that start with? You know, it starts in Genesis and that's where it's defined that we're made in the image of God, that we're made male and female, that marriage is one man and one woman. And so I think... Um, I think by ignoring those things, um, we're, you know, and not having, not realizing the foundational importance of Genesis, uh, we're, we're missing out. And, and two, I mean, I, I've worked, I've been in this field for over 17 years and I have watched sadly, um, many people who have, who are professing Christ, they're professing Christian. Now I don't know their heart. I, I can't see that, but that's what they're professing. And I've watched them say, well, you know, it's okay that the earth is millions of years old. Well, it's okay that evolution is true. Well, it's okay that Adam and Eve are evolved from some sort of ape-like creature. Well, it's okay that maybe Genesis is really just an, an analogy, an allegory or something. It's myth. And well, there wasn't really the fall, you know, and, and maybe Jesus just came to show us how to be a good person. I mean, I've seen that in these people that they're professors at Christian colleges and they're saying this and it, and it's problematic. And that's why I say they're professing Christians. Cause if you believe Jesus just came to show you how to be a good person, you're not a Christian. I mean, that's not the gospel. So that's a false gospel. And so that's, that's, it's just that slippery slope that once part of God's word isn't true, it's easier to say that more of it isn't true and then possibly to deny it altogether. Yeah. I hear what you're saying in that space that it's, it's a package deal. Right, and the the revelation of understanding the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to humanity, and it it wasn't mm -hmm. something that humanity created independently mm -hmm. of God moving through those writers to to document this is who I am, and therefore right. it's important to understand who you're relating to, and and what your yeah. relative position is to the God of the creator of the universe. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's well said. Uh, if you're 
you offered, I'd be interested to explore a little bit more your area of specialty in terms of um, genetic biology. And you know, most people who go through high school science will will um, remember that the the father of modern genetics, Mendel, was a, a practicing priest. That it was in his in his Christian faith that he started to to investigate inheritability of characteristics, and that is you know th- through all those testing come down to the discovery of DNA and the the, the code that that's uh, captures all the the specifications for the manufacture of proteins that that form our, our DNA. The appearance would be that it makes it makes some valid sense that our DNA is so similar to the DNA shared by all of the other creatures of the world. As a Christian coming to that view and investigating the specifics of genetics, what's been your understanding of how separate we are, how unique we are, how in the image of God we are when there is so much of that genetic code that seems to be borrowed from the natural world? Yeah, so, I mean... Um, the way I look at it definitely is that um, we all do have, I mean, all organisms have a lot of uh, similarities in their DNA. That's because we're all designed by God. And so, and we all have to, um, and just like you have, you know, Van Gogh paintings all have a similarity to them that you can detect when you look at them. So it just makes sense. That's how designers work. Um, they have a certain style and a certain um, ways that they do things. And two, like um, like if you're talking about mammals, for example, which humans fall under that category, our bodies have to do a lot of similar things. So it makes sense that God's going to have the same why do it differently in the different organisms? You know, if it works and and then it makes sense that it would be in multiple organisms. Um, so I, I think there's just like car parts. I mean, there's certain car parts that are going to be basically the same, regardless of the type of car that it is, because it's a design that works. And so I think we we see that common designer um uh those ideas throughout a lot of different organisms. But I will say that, uh, you know, a lot of times I hear this about it all the time still that, you know, oh, chimps and humans are like 98% the same, you know, that's, but it's just not, it's not factually true um, is the problem. So if you look at how those comparisons are done, for example, if you look at one of the original papers that um, declared that they say, and, you know, and again, this is where you have to look at why you have to, it's important to not just take whatever the media says. Um, mm. Sometimes you got to look at that scientific paper or at least people that are, that are scientists that are evaluating it, maybe from a different perspective, but in looking at it, but it says that in order to get that 98% number, they had to exclude basically one third of the <laughs> genome. Okay. <laughs> So right there tells you that you're only looking, you're not looking at the whole thing. You know, we've got what, 3 billion bases and they're not looking at all that. They're looking at a much smaller portion. They're looking at smaller. So right there, that's a lot of differences. Um, And also they're only typically counting one type of difference. So they're, they're not counting what we would call gaps or indels. Um, When they do this, they're not counting um, duplication. They're not counting. There's certain things that they don't do in the overall count. They don't count basically as differences. Now they would say, 
And I've actually, I've watched a video on this and it was kind of entertaining. It was made by evolutionists. It was made by people that are geneticists that people, you know, that know what they're talking about. Um, But it was interesting because they said, basic idea was, well, we did it this way where we just looked at if like you have a sequence in the human and you have a sequence in the chimp and you just look at the letters that are different. So, you know, when they match up, these letters match, but then this letter doesn't match. So they only counted those letters that don't match. That's all they counted. If there was a gap where there was maybe human DNA, but not chimp DNA, they didn't count that. So they said, well, cause it was hard. <laughs> and I was like, well, scientists need to do hard things. Um, <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that it's hard. It's hard to make those comparisons when there's things, but you have to figure out a way to say that is a difference. You know, there is something missing there and and not there, and you need to figure out how to count it. So um, Dr. Jeffrey Tompkins, who's a geneticist, actually a genomicist, so he works at Clemson University for like 10 years as the head of their genomics lab there. He's done a lot of research on this, comparing human and chimp DNA, and he said, you know, in papers that he's published, it looks like it's more around 70% similarity when you try to count all of the differences. So that's significant when you're, you're talking millions of bases that are different, which cannot be accounted for in any evolutionary timeframe that you could get millions of differences, even over millions of years. That's no evolutionary geneticist would believe that. And so it really is problematic for them. And it really shows that we are very unique and different um, than Mm. the chimps and thus from any other living thing as well. And, you know, when we talk about the image of God, I don't believe that to be something genetic. That's something that Mm. God endows us with as his, Mm. as his, as humans um, that Mm. he's given us distinctly and uniquely um, that we Mm. are created in his image. And um, so I don't think that has anything to do with the genetics necessarily. Mm. So that's an interesting segue into the another thing I wanted to talk with you about, Georgia, was the the notion of obviously our genetic code, our, our DNA that we inherit, each parent, we it, it is prescribing physical attributes, and it's it's very material in its orientation, and we understand that our humanity is a complex combination both of material. We are physical creatures, but we're not just physical creatures. And yet it does seem as though there is research that is suggesting our genes play a huge part in determining personality, attributes, non-physical capacities. What do we make, how do we make sense of that? Um, I... I would not buy that. I think it's very, very challenging to make that assertion um, and that connection because, and and one of my main problems with saying with that is because we're still at a very rudimentary level of understanding the genome and how it works um, Mm. and how, how to know, how to even, how do you even determine that this gene control makes this behavior, so to speak. And is it, is that true in every individual that has that version of the gene that has that behavior? You know, you would have to have a lot. I, I just don't think the studies out there have enough to be able to show those kinds of things. Um, certainly, we do know that there can be some disorder like schizophrenia and some some, you know, personality disorder, psychological disorders. There have been some suggestions at some mutations that may 
you know, predispose a person to that or may have a role in that. And, and certainly, you know, that I'm, I'm open to that idea. Um, but I don't really think that we have a lot of good solid studies out there that are linking behavior to, um, genetics. And, and you got to understand too, the reason that people want to do that is because they, because they're materialist and they don't believe there's anything else. So it has to be explained that way in an evolutionary materialistic worldview, every aspect of you has to be explained by your genetics. It cannot be explained outside of that because you'd have no spirit or soul. According to that, there's nothing immaterial about you. Everything is material. So they're half, they're looking for that because they believe that what's true. Um, and so that must exist. Um, but, but I, I just, I worry about things like that because I just, usually the scientists that are doing this, usually it's the media that takes that information and makes it into something. It isn't the scientists themselves are usually a lot more reserved in saying what they, you know, what the connection is between those two things. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's uh, another part of your expertise I want to explore is, is the, the difference between the science world that you work in and the science is understood by the media world that we live in and and how how you are attempting to to bridge that gap or to to bring more integrity between those two spheres mm-hmm. yeah i think um and scientists can get caught up in this too um there i mean there's their centers <laughs> just as much as anyone else. And so they tend to get big egos and they tend to, you know, want money and notoriety, you know, popularity for discovering something. Um, and so sometimes they jump the gun on things, I think, you know, in uh, talking, you know, to media about it. And, mm. um, and, and I think it's hard, you know, I, I would encourage people. I always thought there should be more, um, people that are knowledgeable about science in media that truly mm. know the science behind these things and can write about them intelligently. Cause I was reading an article the other day, it was on the CNN website and I'm like, why did they use that word there? That doesn't, what does that mean in relation to DNA? Mm. Like that doesn't make any sense. And so, um, and so they, so that, I think that's, a, that is a major issue. And I think we need more of that. I think you just, because I can't write well. I, I would have a problem writing well about geology because I don't know geology that well, you know? And so it, it would be great. I, I don't know how to resolve that. I don't know how to do that because they want the headlines and they want to beat everyone to it. But just in really taking that information and having people that are scientists review it and make sure it's accurate and right. And, you know, but it's just hard. It's hard in a very media driven world. So you, it's two interesting things that, uh, for me, that fall out of those comments, Georgia, was the the notion of uh, in a scientist in a sci- a world of scientism where science is celebrated as <clears throat> a triumphalist movement, the attraction for career aspiration celebrity in the the problematics of the science, but then there's also the the oversimplification or the misunderstanding. Can science be made accessible to the public or are there parts of science that that cannot be simplified to allow a public consumption or a public understanding of those ideas? It's always going to be mysterious. Um, 
I think there, I think definitely there are aspects of things that you can make understandable to people. Um, so I've worked very hard at that for a long time. I, I have a whole talk talking about the differences between human and chip DNA. And, um, and so that was challenging because when people don't understand the basics of DNA and, and getting people to understand that so that I can talk about it, you know, at a, at a certain level. And, um, I've had people say to me after that presentation, they're like, wow, I I actually understood that. Like (laughs) that made a lot of sense. I'm like, that's the best compliment I could get. Um, so I think you can do it. Are there some things that are, that are always going to be harder to understand if you don't have the background? Absolutely. There's going to be some things that are just, I, I just, I can't talk about it at, at a certain level because I don't have a way to simplify that. Like, cause you have to have so much basic, even just this foundational knowledge. And if you don't have that, I can't, I don't have anything to build on to get up to this level. And most people I'm just trying to explain the basics with, um, be, and I don't have time <laughs> a lot of times to get up to that higher level, um, because of that. And so you have to spend so much time getting the basics down that you, you can't, you know, you can't get to that level. So I think there always are going to be, I always, when you talk about that, I think about epigenetics, which is like how the genome is controlled by different things. And I have, I have been able to explain that at a certain level, but to go into it deeper would be harder because people just yeah. don't have the genetics background to really appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's those recent comments <clears throat> speaking to that idea that you really have to know your subject area really well to know what are the things that can be simplified, what are the things that aren't able to be simplified, and to simplify it in a way that doesn't create misunderstanding, that doesn't lead people down a track that they shouldn't be led down. Yeah, I've had to I've had to really learn that over the years because there's so much stuff you'd like people to understand, but you realize that but to me, it's no good to to for me to know the science and not be able to articulate it to people. So I, if I can't get to, to these other things, it's okay. You know, I have to just live with that and say, you know, these are the basics that they need to know. What do they really need to know? I mean, I like knowing all this other stuff, but they don't really need to know that. What do they need to know to defend their faith well and be able to just overall just understand this well? Um, and so you have to just be able to discern that. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's that's really good. So let me um, pull our thoughts together. I mean, it's, for me, it's been an interesting journey. We started talking about your own story and the notion of how God intervened in your life in as a as a person, a personal God with intentions and wills and a relationship with you, took action that steered you in different directions completely irrelevant to what was your genetic code, what was your you know, programming. And we've sort of come around to that same view. They say, yes, it, we we are partly identified by the sequences of, of the, the base pairings, but that is not the defining quality of who we are or where we headed. There There is more to us than than our code. And that's been a lovely sort of circle around to say, well, mm-hmm. here's the here's the the factual part of it. There was the experiential part of it at the start. But I, w- I wanted to give time to explore with you your particular notion of of why Genesis and the story of Genesis might have some 
specific or 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 um, particular relevance for women. Can you help us understand what views you're presenting there? Why is it of something that's important to you? Yeah. And so um, when I started with the ministry, um, I definitely never saw myself like talking about this to women or or specifically trying to train women in apologetics and teaching them about these things. Um, but the more that I started to look at different women's like conferences and what was out there for women, understanding their faith and understanding the scriptures, um, I realized it's, we call it fluff and stuff. And so it's very surface, mm. very superficial. I believe a lot of the material that's produced for women um, and which doesn't really encourage them to get into the word and understand the word. It just, it's a very superficial understanding of it. And that, and that saddens me. I mean, I'd love to learn and I, and, and that includes God's word and obviously. And so I, I don't understand why women are being looked at or thought of differently. Like we don't need to know these things. Um, and so, uh, so I just, I really got burdened for that. And I said, we need to do something about this. And, um, so, uh, so I was the first female speaker that answers in Genesis had hired. And, um, so I was like, well, I'm in a unique I have a unique opportunity then um, to be able to maybe go to women's conferences and speak. And um, then, uh, well, 12 years ago, um, we actually started our own women's conference at Answers in Genesis called Answers for Women. And um, so we've had, so we're in our 11th year because of COVID. And uh, uh, even though it was 12 years ago, but uh, we we sold out um, this last conference and that's almost 2000 women. Um, so uh, it's really been neat to see the hunger that women have for um, really delving into God's word, because that is one thing that I really want to do is um, understand it. And, and, you know, in the society that we live in that's very gender and sexually confused um mm -hmm. boy genesis speaks to that i mean genesis mm -hmm. is really vital for that and understanding our roles that that men and women are of equal value before god we're both made mm -hmm. in god's image we're both needed mm -hmm. to needed to project and help people understand that image um it's not just man alone um it's man and woman um that we're not the same um that what I see a lot of is almost wanting that sameness, like, well, women and men are like identical. They're exactly the same. And um, I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like, I don't want that. God, God created diversity. God created, um, you know, he, so it's not good that man should be alone. It's not that he was lonely. It's just that not good that he should be alone. He needed a, a helpmate comparable to him is what the scripture says. And so equal in value, but different in role, different in sexuality, different in gender, different um, in physical appearance, you know, different. I mean, we, we, we have different aspects, I think of God's image. I mean, we're fully made in the image of God, but we like, for example, women tend to be more nurturing. And God has, we read in scripture, God has a lot of nurturing aspects to him. Um, and so women, women are able to fulfill that more than men. And that's a, mm. that's a good thing. You know, men mm. can do other things that women can't in, mm. in leading and doing some of those things. Not that women can't mm. lead, but I mean, you know, they, they sometimes are more like the leader and the protector. And we see very much that in scripture of God as well. So I think um, it's really neat to see uh 
I think women, I want women to really embrace that, embrace who God has made them and not want to be the same as men, just to embrace their womanhood and how God has created them to be. Um, And all of that begins in Genesis. And so it's important for them to understand that. And I just want them to be grounded in their faith because they are um, a lot of times the one teaching children. I mean, um, a lot of educators are women. A lot of women are, they're educating their children in the home. Um, They're doing it in churches. You know, they, they're responsible, they are responsible for training that next generation to a large extent. And so they need to, they need to know it well, they can't give what they don't have. So they need to know it well, so they can, they can pass it on well. Yeah, that is so good. And I really appreciate you articulating those views so clearly, I think in our in our modern age of of um, gender politics, you're quite right that religion generally, Christianity specifically, and targetedly, Genesis is dismissed as being anti-feminine and the the, the source of the patriarchy and and having somebody so clearly be able to unpack. That's not the case. That's not the argument no. that Genesis makes, which is an interesting contrast, isn't it? Because we we just had some comments about the tendency to misunderstand the science, to misunderstand what that uh, aspect of God's revelation through his creation misinterpreted. And these comments are that we have a tendency to misinterpret his revelation through his word. And the the absolute importance of being able to come with a hu- a humble understanding of let's see what it says in each of those right. records of, of God's um, God's work, which which brings us to teaching, right? For people to really understand either the science or the scripture, they they need people that can teach them. Maybe we could finish just by you sharing a little bit about what answers in Genesis does to try and teach the the truths of scripture so there's so many ways that we do that um so one of the way we have an amazing website um that we um answers in genesis.org that has a ton of free resources on it videos articles books i mean just lots of amazing things there we um, produce a lot of books and DVDs, curriculum, um, homeschool curriculum. We're currently working on Christian school curriculum right now, uh, just really trying to reach into all of those aspects um, that people might need resources for teens, for children, for adults. Um, and uh, we offer conferences every year. Um, so we do that not just in, um, not just at the, at our facilities, but also we go to places. So I'm coming to Australia in June. And so to be able to teach over there and I'm super excited about that. And so, um, so we go, we go all over the world and uh, I was just in Sweden last year. So uh, we get, we get to have these amazing opportunities to do that. And so we also then have our two main attractions, the creation museum and the Ark encounter in Kentucky. And uh, so those are great places where we can have people, um, you know, come, come, on site and be able to learn about uh, God's word and learn about the flood. And we have a life-sized ark ark, uh, that we've built in Kentucky. And so um, that's great for people to be able to really appreciate the size of what the ark um, really was. And uh, we also do a lot of like educational programming, uh, both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Uh, We have a K through 12 school, um, Answers Academy now. And uh, so we we just have trying to put that in, in a nutshell is hard. 
hard um, because we have a lot of ways. I, I just encourage people to get on our website and have a look around because there's lots of lots of things there that can um, really help help you and assist you. Give us the website one more time. Answersingenesis.org.org. Dr. Georgia Purdom, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you this morning. This morning, my time. Uh, evening, your time. Evening. <laughs> and, yeah, thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. May God strengthen you and continue to give you all that you need to do His work in the way that He's called you to. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.